We are here for our fifth epilogue of this season. Did not have one last week, have one this week. You know, I'm not sure if these will be every week, but you know, this is just how it goes. Still here, joined by our guest from earlier in the week, John from Counterpoint Politics. John's welcome back for this extra conversation. Appreciate you staying with us through this extra portion here. Of course. Glad, glad to be here. You know, we had unfortunately you know, before this, weren't recording this part, or technically was, but you know how it is, uh, talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Th this is a topic that people have been hammering over and over and over again, you know, and, and I think it's fallen underneath the umbrella of what the right calls wokeness, which I don't even know if there's a real definition for it anymore. It, it just feels as though, personally, I, I think the Republicans just throw that term onto anything that they don't like. They're just like, ah, it's woke. You just it's just like a, a catch-all at this point, but going on to the merits of DEI, it, it's something that I, I want to be honest, I feel conflicted about because I think I can argue it from both sides. And you know, like on, on one hand, I understand then why people are advocating for it in the first place. You look at our nation's history, it has done nothing but been preferable to people who were straight white men. And for the longest time, you know, you also you had to be a Christian, um, you know, th th this just goes back for for centuries now. And due to that fact, there's there was a unbalanced outcome of opportunities just in every sector of this country that you can think of. And so now, after finally spending years talking about it, people are trying to address that by essentially going out of their way to put more people into positions of power, people of color, uh, you know, women, people who are LGBTQ. And now it seems as though there's a revolt against it being like, oh, well, it's not merit-based. So how dare you do that? You know, because you're not putting the best people in the best positions. But the idea was that we were, you know, and a lot of times we were never putting the best people in the best positions because we were just putting people in there because of their status and some sort or another. So on one hand, I can get the argument that people have about like, oh, well, we just need to be putting the best people in there as possible. But I also get the other argument that we've never done that. So we have to find a way to overcome this systemic oppression that's happened over years, which has led to people in these, I guess, other groups not having the same systemic, I guess, well, not systemic, but like generational wealth that current, you know, white families mostly have current, you know, at the moment. But where do you where do you fall on this in, in the middle here? Do you think that DEI, these type of initiatives, do you think they do more harm than good? Or do you think that we need them in place to overcome, I guess, our history? Um, I think that they sometimes do more harm than good. And in order to have an honest conversation about how to address these issues, we have to acknowledge that not everything that the people on the left has ever said has been 100% right diversity, equity, and inclusion sometimes is good. And it, it, I think a lot of times gets a bad rap because you look at it from a single company perspective, right? And they end up hiring a South Asian woman in this role instead of a white man, right? Yeah. And chances are in that company, the South Asian woman and the white man 
probably were equally qualified. You know, these companies go through thousands of resumes. They were probably equally qualified and they ended up going with the background that wasn't represented in their company so far, you know, and that has value in and of itself, which I think the people on the other side is also need to recognize that having a diversified set of views, just like diversifying your, your financial portfolio is a good thing. You know, it, 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 it covers your blind spots. Um, you know, the, the story of Cheetos, like Flamin' Hot Cheetos came from a janitor at Cheetos uh, who, who was Hispanic and was like, oh, these aren't hot enough for my people. And so he made a Flamin' Hot version himself and he pitched what? it. In that <laughs> I didn't even know that was like, real. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but like, you know, that's just an example of how like it was all white people at the top. They didn't know what, you know, real heat was, you know, from a <laughs> <laughs> and then it was one of their most profitable items, you know, um, yeah. and having those diverse perspectives does help. Um, however, I think the left also needs to acknowledge just trying to force a number to force a quota for the sake of doing it, especially when looking at it from a macro point of view on a large scale, isn't going to work because the math doesn't math. If you have and, and looking at, say, engineers, you know, if you try and force a 50-50 across the board, engineers at every company, men and women, it's just not going to work because the labor force is 85% men, 15% women. And you just can't have a 50-50 split everywhere. The thing that needs to be addressed isn't the end product, it's the starting point. Because without, you know, any interference from our society, men and women are equally likely to be an engineer. They're equally capable of being an engineer. If and the natural distribution of men and women in the engineering space would be 50-50 if we didn't have uh, the, the societal systemic influences discouraging women from becoming engineers. And so you're right. If you end up hiring a less qualified woman just to fit a quota, that is bad. They are completely right about that. However, the current system, we have that like bottom 40% of, of male engineers right now aren't competing with the women who aren't there because we haven't encouraged them to join the engineering labor force. If those women were there, if we had encouraged women the whole time and we quadrupled their number to be equal with the men, then those men wouldn't all have jobs. They wouldn't all have the same jobs because they would have competed and been replaced by a lot of the new women joining. And those positions would have been upgraded. So currently that position is running at a deficit and it has been for all of human history. And so this, D, this diversity, equity, inclusion, it has to be looked at holistically. If you want it to happen in your lifetime that we have equal representation, it's not gonna happen. It doesn't work that quickly. And you have to acknowledge that on the left. However, you also have to acknowledge on the right that it is a positive thing that people are presented with equal opportunities in this world and that we have multiple backgrounds represented in various areas of industry and politics and media yeah it's it's not surprising but it's still uncomfortable to see the level of backlash that these initiatives are getting around the country you know because it it, it feels like you know where it's coming from you know even though we all i mean we're, no one's really kind of like saying it that much but we all kind of like know where the backlash is coming from but, you know, without going too deep into um, all of that, because I could probably spend a whole episode talking about like why there's so much resistance to these things happening in our country. 
I want to kind of take like a, a little bit of a pivot to another issue that has people discussing it quite a bit in the news, you know, not so much in the last few weeks, but obviously every time there's a mass or there's every time there's a police shooting, we always talk about police reform. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the first videos that I came across of yours was you talking about, you know, police reform. And this is a hot subject. I mean, even people on the left are divided about whether or not the police, you know, like whether they need to exist at all or whether they need to be defunded or or, or what, what to do about them. But, you know, even though it's not in the news cycle at the moment, it's only inevitable that it comes back because it, it feels like it's every couple of months at this point. From your perspective, what needs to change when it comes to the police? And how do you sell that to people who might disagree with you? I mean, I think the number one thing that needs to change about the police is for us to be honest and define what the police are for. Um, a lot of people in this country don't know that, legally speaking, the police are not required to protect and serve. That's what the Supreme Court said. Um, yep. And if we're going to come to some conclusion on the police, we have to first determine what it is they're supposed to do and be honest about it. If what we want them to do primarily is to reduce crime, then sure, okay, I'm 100% for the police reducing crime. Police are a necessary requirement in order to address crime. You're just going to have to have them at some level. The question then becomes, okay, do we need more or less? Is spending more on police the thing that is going to reduce crime the most? And nine times out of 10, that's not the case because we spend more on police than any country in the world and it doesn't reduce our crime. Um, the, the, the answer isn't more policing, it's better policing. It's more efficient policing. It's do the police really need to respond to this mental health call? Is that really who we should be sending to deal with a, you know, uh, with X, Y, Z? You know, is, is this really the best use of our resources? Do we need the police doing this? Why waste the police time when they're not trained to do this? Um, and so like, those are the questions we need to be asking if we're going to reform anything. I think the people on the left who are like, uh, you know, ACAB, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I understand their entire worldview and how the police are an arm of the state that is used to <laughs> repress, you know, progressive movement. Yeah. And that can be true. That, that can a hundred percent be true. But if you talk to your average cop, they have no idea what you're talking about. They've never heard anything about Marxist theory. They're just a dude who wanted to protect their community, you know, and maybe that cop is the racist, terrible person that like you think they are. But chances are they're just a normal guy trying to do what's best, just like you or I, you know, and they've just had a different influence in their life. And yes, they're part of a system that is used to stop change that is needed, but they don't know that. And the average American doesn't know that. And the average American sees the cop as how we were all raised to see the cops. And so starting to fight that fight from a position of all cops are bastards, you're just going to lose the majority of America. And so what you have to do is go, okay, cops are necessary. How do we make them work most effectively? How do we make their jobs easier how do we reduce crime before they got to deal with it you know 
and those are the things that we need to be talking about because most Americans don't think cops need tanks. Most Americans don't think cops need to be militarized. Some do, a small proportion do, but they'll use that all cops and masses rhetoric that defund the police rhetoric to fund the police, to give them the tanks, to do all of the things that you don't want them to do. And if we continue to go that direction on the left, I, I just don't think it's a winning argument because like it or not, the police have really good PR and, and you're not going to beat it. You know, I um, usually, usually when I have people come on the podcast, you know, I usually just sit back and just kind of let them have most of the conversation here. I've been told by people recently that I need to inject more of my thoughts into these episodes. So I'm going to take the opportunity to kind of give my two cents on this. I haven't touched on the police issue in a while on my podcast. Frankly, I feel as though the, you know, you're not wrong about the PR thing. The messaging is horrendous on the left as far as talking about the police. I'm of the mindset that, you know, and I know that people will probably disagree with me on the left and, and you know, I'm willing to have these conversations with you if you want to like have, you know, good faith conversation about it versus just labeling people as, you know, like, oh, you're just wrong, go away. But I don't think abolishing the police is the answer. But the police cannot continue to exist in the current format that they exist in because the system creates this, I, I don't know, the cycle of basically you have a group of people that have almost unchecked power and they have no consequences. And, and that for me is where this really becomes the problem because you have any person who can become a police officer and then they basically can do just about anything they want, damn near anything that they want, and they will get away with it. Any system that fosters that environment, whether it's the police or in politics or in like overseeing a school board or just whatever you can think of, any system that would create that environment is a corrupt system and it needs to be addressed. And the fact that we don't address it I think only leads to more and more fervor of people saying, just dismantle it altogether. Because why do people ask for it to be dismantled in the first place? It's because they're seeing an issue that's not being resolved. And if do you see that over and over and over, you know, as time goes on, you just say, hey, fuck it, just get rid of the whole thing. You know, just, just throw it all out. And, and who can blame them? How many times do we see people and, you know, people have that argument, oh, it's just a few bad apples or, oh, it's just some cops. Most cops I know are good. That That's not really the problem. The problem isn't that most cops might be good. It's that the bad ones are insulated from having any real consequences between qualified immunity, district attorneys who won't prosecute people, between cops who aren't actually tracked if they do anything wrong. There's no national database that prevents them from just getting a job at another town if they do kill somebody they're just put on an administrative leave which is basically like a paid vacation for taking someone's life you know like it's laughable right and there's supposed to be people who protect us and when you feel as though you're not being protected you're actually you know more or less you might be attacked by these people then yeah the the, the social contract has been broken right mm -hmm. and, and i i think we, we don't really bring it to that conversation enough. You know, we, we need the police to be held accountable legitimately every single time that they do something. And, and for people who say like, oh, well, that might make them more hesitant before they act. 
that's the fucking point. That is the point. <laughs> of course, like that is the exact goal. You want them to think before they act because the fact that they're not thinking, that they're just pulling the trigger and killing people, that's why we're here. And that's mm. why we're talking about this. And so it's for both for me, you know, abolish the police. No, but the system needs a massive amount of reforms, a massive amount. And I think if you're, if you're against, I think a total overhaul of the fucking system, it just tells me that you are kind of just somehow detached from all this, which, which is really troubling to me. You know, it's really troubling that you can see this level of oppression and think to yourself, no problem here. What one thing that I have found sometimes works to break through to people, both in the middle and on the right, is they see the the, the riot, right? Yeah. And they're like, I'm so upset about this riot. This this is this is terrible. They're destroying this country, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay. Whose job is it to stop people from rioting? The police. Well, don't you think they're doing a bad job at that? If the actions that they took directly caused a riot that they cannot stop, you know, don't, don't, don't you think that maybe they need to change the, what, what they're doing if they're regularly causing people to riot it like, like it is, it, it's as if like, like I, I, I said the football analogy earlier, it's as if your team ran the ball into their own end zone and got a safety multiple times a game. And then right. they came and they're like, how dare the other team score that safety? And it's like, no, no, that's, the, that's their one job as police, like to keep the peace. And they yeah. have failed. You can't, and sure, you can think that there's moral obligation for the people who are rioting not to riot. I'll agree with you that they shouldn't be burning down anything. They shouldn't be damaging property. They shouldn't be hurting anyone. I agree with you. However, they're not accountable to me. They're not accountable to you. The thing that we can change, that's in our power to change, is the police, is the thing that started this, whose job it is to stop it from happening. And that is what we can change. We cannot, if we just hope that random individuals will change their behavior, that's not a strategy. But we can change the way we deal with the police and the things that they're doing to instigate riots. We can just stop them from doing it. You know, like that's an actual solution. Hope and change isn't. You know, it's, it, it comes down to messaging, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, the reason why so many people get worked about this thing, you know, you have people, you know, and let's just call these people by their names, you know, people in, in the conservative media, you know, the Ben Shapiro's of the world, the Tucker Carlson's of the world, the Tim Pool's of the world. You know, they have great messaging campaigns. They're able to rile up their base and kind of, you know, distort the topics of discussion. And now we are here trying to unwind some of that stuff and kind of like add a little more nuance to it, hopefully that people will take in. But unfortunately, you know, this will be another like hard pivot here, but um, the police aren't the only thing that we have this problem with. It also comes with, you know, student loans, which is gonna be the last thing I want to talk about here with you today before we kind of wrap this conversation up. The, the student loan debate's been going on for a while now. For those you know who are living under a rock, obviously, 
President Biden announced last fall that he wanted to forgive between ten dollars to $20,000 worth of student debt for people. Kind of depends on whether or not you received a Pell Grant when you were in college. And it's caused a whole bunch of controversy, which now feels like even more hypocrisy now that we're on the tail end of watching what happened with that uh, venture capital bank in California. Uh, but as this is now entering the Supreme Court, and it's probably going to have some kind of decision you know, centered around it imminently. One way or another, people are going to be pissed off. But before we get to that point, what have been your thoughts on all of this? As far as do you think it's ethical or the right thing to do or what have you for President Biden to issue this order to have these student loans be reversed or be eliminated? I think, you know, there's several ways you can go to look about it. Um, I think that we should forgive student loans. Um, and however, I don't think we should forgive student loans and do nothing to change the system that caused this problem to begin with, because that would be stupid. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's going to have more loans, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think we can all agree on that one. Um, and so to me, uh, from the ethical point of view, right, I totally understand the Hey, why do why do these people get a free handout? Why 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 I paid off my loans? Why why don't they have to do it? Right? Yeah. And I legitimately, at least in some points, agree with the argument that why are we giving a handout to people with college degrees? They're not the ones in the most danger in this country. Um, and to that, I say I agree with that. However, they're the ones we have the political capital to help. In, in this arena. And just because there might be better people to spend that money on doesn't mean we shouldn't spend the money here, right? Um, because yes, I agree, there's more efficient, better ways to spend that money, but we're not going to do that. So it's not a legitimate argument. You know, like if, if, we, if it was on the table, hey, universal healthcare or student loans, or hey, which honestly, universal healthcare wouldn't even be spending money because it would save us money as a country but either way hey um universal yeah. basic income or student loan or, or whatever you know I, I would go with you know helping the, the the poor people in this country before the people with student loans but that's not on the table it's just not on the table so we're just discussing this in itself yes i think that they should be forgiven because we have a massive crisis we have a massive debt bubble um and as someone who was shaped growing up by the 2008 <laughs> financial collapse and what happens with debt bubbles yeah. Um, there are bad things that need to be addressed because when they pop and explode, it hurts everyone. And not only does it hurt everyone, but the existence of the debt bubble is dragging our economy down because the people who in past generations would be growing wealth and equity, would be starting families, would be buying homes, would be starting businesses, people between the ages of 28 and 45, those are the ones who hold all the student debt right now. All of that debt is being carried by what should be the most productive class of our society. And that's a massive problem that has economic ramifications that hurt everyone. So this, yes, will help people with student loans the most, but you will feel the impact of it benefit you even if you do not have them. It is better for that money to be in the hands of people who are going to spend it in our economy than the ultra wealthy who own the, 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 the banks and, and own the loans 
who are just going to save it and put it into shitty investments like Silicon Valley Bank. And that's what's going to happen. Like, like, it's a choice there. Do you want the really rich people to have the money or do you want the common working class people to have the money? It's, it's really that simple when you look at it. And there's a clear answer of what is economically most beneficial for us all. Um, and to me, that takes the ethics out of it and just goes, what's most beneficial for our country? That's it. Of course, as I said earlier, you should provide free public college to everyone. Public universities should be made free because why should, if we want a meritocracy in this country, right? And I believe I'm rambling a little bit here. (laughs) If we want a meritocracy in this country and we want the best people to be going to the university, why should their parents' ability to pay for it ever impact their decision to do so? Because if you allow the parents' ability to pay for it to impact their decision, then you're not having a meritocracy. You're having a meritocracy of those with rich parents um, and those willing to take on a massive amount of debt. But there's going to be those who would have gone if they didn't have to take on a massive amount of debt that just aren't going to enrich their education, make themselves more productive members of society and have society be worse off overall because of it because we only gave made this available to people with rich parents. doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, I understand why people get upset about this. You know, by, by the way, I, I want to put out there, I don't have student loans. I don't have a dog in this fight. Right. I, I'm saying this completely. I'm the person who doesn't have the loans who would be hurt by this. Like, like to, to give the audience some perspective. I will also give the audience perspective. I have student loans. And I, I kind of want to, I'm going to go on a little bit, you know, of a, of a, of a tangent here. I'm trying to keep a little bit contained, mm-hmm. but for those who might be a little bit younger in the, in the mid two thousands, late two thousands, there was an era where it was expected that you would go to college. It, it wasn't, if you would go to college, it was which college were you going to? Like mm-hmm. every place you'd go to, everyone would talk about like, oh, yeah, you got to go to college. You have to go to college. It's the only way that you can compete in this economy. Basically, everyone was guilted into it. Even people who had no desires, they felt like they had to go, right? Mm-hmm. So you had a whole generation of people who had to go to college, or at least in their minds, perceived it as much, right? And now one of the things, I, I was one of those people who I, I had to fill out for, for Pell Grants and for student loans and you know so on and so forth. And when you're going through FAFSA and you're trying to apply for these things, in there, they actually show you the graduation rate for the school that you're applying to. I went to the University of Montana here in the city that I live in, Missoula, Montana. The graduation rate for the University of Montana when I was going to college here in 2010 was 42%. Four out of 10 people who started college finished. So, which also means that six out of 10 people left without a degree. Hmm. A lot of people leave without degrees. I know plenty of people who went to college, racked up thousands of dollars of debt, left without a degree. So there's this misnomer out there that everyone who's getting this relief right now is somehow this like engineer or this or this person with a master's or or these doctors and these lawyers. It's bullshit. It, it really is. I live in a town full of people who went to college. Like this whole town is filled with nothing but people who went to University of Montana. There are thousands of people who went to college for every single thing that you could possibly think of 
don't have a degree and they are stuck paying off these loans for years and years and years, basically just paying off interest. You can't even touch the principal. I know people that went to college 10 years ago and still they have more debt now than they did when they first got out. It, it, it's insanity to me. So the system is not really, we're not really talking about it. And I think in a fair way, we make it sound as though that everyone who went there is somehow this rich person and we're subsidizing the rich. That's bullshit. That might be the case for some people. It's not the case for everyone. It's not the case for the majority of people, I would have to assume. And, and even for the people who did graduate, we are talking about, about what? How many people actually go to college who do end up with these really, really high paying jobs? They're still in the minority. How many college graduates do you know who are working at a service industry job right now? Right mm -hmm. or who are working in an industry that doesn't pay that well. I mean, people who go to school Which to become still a still required a college degree by the right. way. Right, people who go to school to be a teacher who are now making less than a bartender does. You know, who are paying off years and years of student can, debt. Can, can we? I want to. I want to focus in on that point because yeah, teachers. We need teachers. We have a teacher shortage, and what we say to people is, go be a teacher. We're going to pay you crap. We're going to make you get a degree for it. That's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're Here's going your to be paying off the interest of this degree into your 40s. But we need more people to do this. Where did all the teachers go? No one wants to work. Well, no, duh, because the system you made to generate teachers in this economy is stupid. And people always like to talk on the right about taking personal responsibility. And yeah. I always throw back at them that we need to take collective responsibility for our collective failings. The government yes. needs to take personal responsibility for when the government failed. And this entire crisis is that. It's the government deciding instead of providing free, free, free college education, we're going to back student loans. And by doing so, they gave the for-profit private college system the free reign to increase tuition as much as they possibly wanted because the check was backed by the government. It was never going to bounce. And in doing so, continued to tell 18-year-olds, hey, the, as you said earlier, when I was growing up, when you were growing up, it yeah. wasn't, are you going to college? It was, which college are you going to? Right. And when every adult in your life is talking to you like that, and you're seven- It doesn't six, really feel like a choice. Old, it's not a real choice. Like if, and, and here's the thing, it's like, oh, you're 18 year old, you're, you can make a decision. Yeah, you can. And some people didn't, but what idiot would put that much economic leverage in our economy on 18 year olds making decisions to take out a mortgage? Like that's so dumb. And on top of it, to give these for-profit financial institutions, the ability to profit off of it with, uh, Points, points on it. They got points. I completely blanking on the word. Um, with uh, right. what is the, what is the word? What is the word? When Which the, is profiting off of the interest. Profiting the interest. Off of the there you go. Themselves. I yeah. completely blanked on that. Yeah. Um, they they profit off the interest. That was a decision they didn't have to make. They didn't right. have to allow interest on these payments, or at the very minimum, in order to just keep them financially stable, have bare minimum like one point five percent interest would have made the whole thing stable. Instead, we have large interest payments for no reason for yeah. we're, we're like it doesn't make sense we want people to go to college we want people to become teachers and doctors and lawyers and all the things that we need and we're just going to let the people who have the money profit off that need with no benefit to the to the common good like 
It doesn't make sense. Take yeah. some personal responsibility. It, it does. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and, and I agree with you. And I'm, I'm going to wrap up my points here, but <laughs> I, I'm, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense how they're going about it. At the same time, I do agree with the fact that you can't really have the system be maintained the way it is if you're going to get rid of these student loans. I mean, I, I think you should do it regardless, but it doesn't it doesn't make true sense unless you also reform the system. Mm -hmm. If we're going to implement things like universal pre-K, I think that's a good idea. If we're going to say people should go to at least like two years worth of college, I think that's a good idea as long as it's like college or trade schools, because I do think that we need more people going into trade schools in this country. So I think if you treat those two things as though they're equal, so that there's mm -hmm. funding for both, that makes total sense to me. You know, but when it comes down to whether or not these loans should be forgiven, my answer is yes. We see time and time again in our country where if you are a massive corporation and you bottom out, the government will show up and help you. And for all the people that are always about this this like phony bootstrap mentality, they seem to always fall incredibly silent whenever a massive corporation or a bank gets a massive bailout for their terrible decision makings and inability to run their companies. But whatever average poor person, you know, is struggling under the weight of, you know, student loans are like, well, you got to make better life choices. And I, I just don't understand how so many people in our country have this warped reality sense where they believe that the rich deserve all the help, even though they need it the least. And the poor deserve no help, even though they deserve it the most. And, they need it the most. And I just can't wrap my head around that level of thinking. I, I just don't know how you get to those conclusions in your mind. You know, you would at least think you'd be consistent being like, oh, well, if I don't want people to have student loan forgiveness, I also wouldn't want corporations to be bailed out, but they, they don't have that a, a belief system. So it, it's always, it's always mind boggling to me. And, and for those who are truly interested about student loan forgiveness, you know, I will have to say whether you're cheering for it or against it, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I really don't. I, I think that President Biden, unfortunately, I don't know if it was through incompetence or through just calculated um, a calculated sense of uh, I want this thing to fail when they originally put out how student loans would be forgiven, what their legal reasoning was, basing it off of the pandemic. Uh, that's not going to fly when the Supreme Court hears that argument. They didn't have to choose that legal reasoning. There was actually other legal reasoning that they could have chose that would have allowed this to easily cruise through the Supreme Court. They didn't do that. Uh, there's a reporter for the Washington Post by the name of Jeff Stein, who has been covering the Biden administration the entire time. And when he was asked about why they chose this legal reasoning versus the other ones they had available to them, he was baffled by this. So. For those who are thinking that that might come through, I, I hate to be the person who says that it probably won't come through. But hey, hate to end on a sour note, but John, I do appreciate you taking the time to be here with me, talk about all this, doing the main episode, doing this epilogue. Uh, for one more time, for people who weren't here for the main episode, where can people find you at online to learn more about you and what you're doing? Find me uh, at Counterpoint Politics on TikTok. That's my main platform. I um, also have a Twitter uh, handle of Counterpoint USA. And Instagram, I, I said this earlier, haven't looked it up, um, but I'm pretty sure the Instagram is Counterpoint Politics. It's, if not, it's Counterpoint USA. If you go to the TikTok, I have a link tree with all of it. Um, uh, it it'll make it quite easy for you. But um, yeah, thank you for having me, Desmond.
course. Linktree is the best, you know. It is. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. For those who are interested, those links will be in the episode description. Go ahead and click into that now. You will see those links. If you like this episode, please share it on social media. Tag Independent Thought, tag Counterpoint Politics. And for everyone out there, we will see you in the next episode. Thank you.